happy Monday to you all. Thank you for tuning in to the Reclamation Church podcast. My name is John. I serve as the youth director here at Reclamation Church in Plano, Texas. And I'm so excited that you've decided to listen in because we are continuing our series called The Kingdom of God. And we're going to be hearing from our senior pastor here, Tom Wilson. If this is your first time hearing about Reclamation Church, I want to extend an invite to, to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at re.churchplano or visit our website, re.church. That being said, let's listen in. Well, good morning, my church family. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. And I know people at home are also going, yeah, we're great, we're doing good, and there's so much cheering going on. Uh, you know, as I'm standing in the back of the room worshiping along with you guys, giving our king the worship that he, he deserves, um, what a cool thought it is that we have people all across Collin County in their homes. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to imagine them raising their hands with their families and singing and worshiping and just giving him the glory and the praise that he deserves. Uh, it's just I love that even a pandemic's not going to slow down what God deserves, and it's, uh, it's incredible. Okay, so we have had, shall we say, an interesting week as a country. Uh, I think that's a fair uh, evaluation. Um, for those who may not be aware, uh, maybe you came out of your hole, uh, we have a new president, the 46th president, and I don't want to know who you voted for because here's another staggering thought. Every single time we have an election, half the country's upset. Every single time. So it's like, it doesn't matter who you voted for. But what I want us to really kind of zoom in on is the fact that this last week, or maybe for me, it was, it was a couple weeks ago, we got to do something that most people around the world never get to do. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our service. Because here we are at part of an amazing democracy as a country. And even just that idea, there's other countries that say, I love the idea, but we'll never get there. Right? I, I'm told what I'm going to believe. And I'm told who I'm going to you know, uh, be as a leader. And I'm told, and yet as a country, we get to have a, a common voice and, and, and declare that. And so this last week has been a really interesting, but a crazy and, and a great week altogether. Um, and it kind of got me thinking, so we are in the middle of a series that we're calling The Kingdom of God. Uh, we've talked about the kingdom. We've talked about the king who is Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about you and myself, and I'm assuming that you are a citizen of God's kingdom, and that is if you've given your life to him, you've accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, then you are a citizen in God's kingdom. And the year was about maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, and we were sitting uh, in downtown Dallas, with uh, hundreds of people as my sister-in-law actually became a U.S. citizen. And she was uh, originally born in Poland, and she made the conscious decision, I want to be a citizen of this country. And so it was really a beautiful ceremony. It was really staggering and humble, honestly. And, and they raised their right hand, and they actually swear an oath to our country. Now, for those of us like myself who were born into it, sometimes we're kind of just, we take that for granted. You know, we don't have to pass a test. We don't have to know any details. As long as your parents are here, ah, you're in. You know, it's, it's really kind of a simple thing. But I'm talking specifically about citizens of God's kingdom. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to start by sharing an incredible account of someone as they literally went from on the outside of the kingdom of God to the inside of the kingdom of God. And we're going to watch their, shall we say, ceremony of citizenship. Uh, and you're going to see it's a little bit different um, than what we do in this country. In fact, as we talk about being a citizen of God's kingdom, you're going to realize that not a lot of it transfers over. Being a citizen of God's kingdom is radically different than being a citizen of the United States of America. Um, and we're going to kind of play that a little bit, but you'll see it is completely different. Now, here's the challenge for those of us who are both 
Um, sometimes we think that our rights and privileges as an American citizen should transfer over to being a citizen of God's kingdom, and he's going, I don't really care about that. I, I, I'm at a different level. Um, I'm up here, and that's the American, and I just, no. Um, so we, we, as citizens of God's kingdom, we put him first and foremost, obviously, and we're going to look at the word of God to find out kind of what he calls us to do. So what the person we're talking about, you guys have probably all heard of him. In fact, he's my favorite person in the entire Bible, minus Jesus, because you have to say that, right? Uh, his name is Paul, but it started out as Saul. Now, what I want to do is I want to read the account, and, and to be upfront, we're going to read a little bit of you know, a, a scripture, and then we're going to begin to unpack it. So I need you guys to bear with me um, as I put my reading glasses on, and you put your reading glasses on too, which makes me feel much more comfortable knowing I'm in a safe place. Just myself. Okay. All right. Well, let's put the reading glasses on. Uh, Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And uh, I want you to see this complete transformation. Starting in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, <coughs> Saul was uttering threats <coughs> excuse me, with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Raise your hand, even at home, if you're one of the Lord's followers. Saul hated you. Saul wanted to arrest you. Saul wanted to kill you. He didn't care if he had to torture you, take out your whole family. He was after you, okay? So he went to the high priest, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of, and it's called the way. That's literally what they referred to as followers of Christ back then. You were part of the way. They viewed us as a religious cult. You were a cult. You were an outcast. You were going against the establishment. They sure didn't think you were a, a wholesome you know, fundamental organization. But what he's doing essentially here, is he's going to the courthouse and he's applying for his hunting license. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I, I, I am the best at my job. I am a hunter to my core. I want to go hunt down anybody who's part. You'll see here in a minute, he didn't care if you're a man, woman, adult, child. He didn't care. If you claim Jesus Christ as your king, he was going to take you out. He was going on a hunting trip is what he's doing. And then look what it says. He says he wanted to bring them in, both men and women, he didn't care, back to Jerusalem in chains. He's, he's requesting a hunting license, and he got the license. And so he gets up. He's on his way to Damascus. And then this is where the, really the, the transformation begins as he goes from this guy named Saul to what we know as the apostle Paul. Verse 3, as he's approaching Damascus on this mission or slash hunting trip, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, have you ever had those moments where your mind's like working overtime? And it's like, what, what, okay, wait, 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 wait. And it's like, it's happening so fast. I'm assuming at this point, this guy named Saul is calculating very quickly. Who do I persecute? I persecute, oh, those Christians. Who's talking to me? Not a Christian. Obviously, this is something bigger. It's coming from the sky. It's a voice. Oh, crap. And then look what he says. Who are you, Lord? Question mark. Right? He, he's assuming very quickly, Saul asked. Then this voice replies, I am Jesus. Right? This is the very one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now notice, there's no rebuttal. There's no uh, Saul standing up and saying, well, I'll just kill you too, fool. Who do you think you are? There's none of that. There ain't a word. There's just a... He is, he is taken away because he is in the presence of the king, and he just collapses. Verse 7, the men with Saul stood speechless. <laughs> That's kind of one of those duh statements, you know. 
For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picks himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He literally couldn't see. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. He didn't eat, and he did not drink. So that's going on. Now what the scriptures say is Jesus tells Saul, I want you to get up, have your companions lead the way, but I want you to go specifically. And, and, and I love this about Scripture. It gives specific details. You want to know where to go? I want you to go into Damascus on Straight Street. There's a guy named Judas. It's his house. Go to his house. So he's got the address. I want you to go right there. You'll be told what to do, and you're going to find out a little bit later. It's a big job, this mission he's been given. <clears throat> so let's flash over to this, this house on Straight Street. God's now talking to the people of the way, which would be you and I, the Christians, right? And keep in mind, they knew who public enemy number one was, Saul. He kills them. He attacks them. We've got to realize this is a small community, so we've got to realize that there are people that they know who've been arrested, who've been beaten, who've been killed, could be friends, could be family. I mean, half their family could be gone because of this guy named Saul. And all of a sudden, God shows up and talks to this guy named Ananias and says, hey, this is so great, Ananias. I have someone coming over this afternoon. It's this guy named Saul. What would your reaction be? Uh, say it again. Who, who exactly is coming over? They knew exactly who this guy was. This is the guy killing all of our friends. Now watch how this goes in verse 13. Ananias begins to protest with God. Anybody ever done that? How's that work out for you? He protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. I mean, look at this one statement. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers. Here's this hunting license from the chief priest that gives him license to do the same to us. He's actually giving God advice. Now, I love God's response back. This almost comes off like a dad telling a kid, because I said so. Right? It's just like, there's this, you don't need more information. But the master says, don't argue, go. Okay, got it. I have picked him. Now, this is such a crazy thought. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. This is the day that Saul literally enters into the kingdom of God. He's having this ceremony, if you will. You know, when my, when my uh, sister-in-law stood there amongst all the hundreds, hundreds of people, she had to raise her right hand and recite these words as a judge made her a U.S. citizen. This is a little bit different. <laughs> this is Saul on his way to kill Jesus' people, and Jesus says, mm, I'm going to use that one right there. Makes him fall to the ground makes him go blind, and then he says this statement, I'm going to use this man to push forward my, my, my mission. Now, what is the mission? This is, this is the book of Acts, so we know the mission of the church is to advance the gospel. We've been talking about this a lot. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It's literally a definition for good news, and don't even complicate that. Just the good news is, Sunday school answer, Jesus. The good news of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took our sins, now we get to go to heaven. That's it. That's, that's the good news. 
And Jesus picked this man who's been killing all of his people and trying to stop this movement. I'm going to use this guy to push it forward. And let me just tell you, Saul doesn't complain. He doesn't push back and say, I don't want to. In fact, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. There's not even an argument about that. You notice that? Not even a, hey, I want a cooler name. I want like Bartholomew. I want something. Nope, just we're going to change the S, change it to P. That's it. We're done. All right, you're the king. I got it. He would go on, and this is one of the reasons I love the Apostle Paul. He would go on to write almost half of the New Testament. So if you have your Bible and you took it from where Jesus came, right, start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, put your hand right there, and then just kind of hold this whole stack of papers, half of that this man wrote. And this man hated Christians. He hated Jesus. And God said, I'm going to use him. And what I love about this whole story, and it's not, I shouldn't say story, it's this historical account of this man named Paul who would go on and spread the gospel to all the known uh, cultures of their day. He's, he's really kind of sharing our story. Because whether you grew up in church or whether you came from a background like I did and I didn't grow up in church, at some point you, you transferred over, right? You went from, I used to be this and now I'm this, and it doesn't matter what your past is. I don't care. If we could sit here today and list out all of our sins. I'm willing to guess you didn't used to kill Christians. Safe to say. And yet God could use him and God can use me and God can use you. And regardless of your background or your race or, or, or your, your, your ethnicity or regardless of your, your gender, it doesn't matter. Because our same common bond is the Holy Spirit that dwells each inside of every one of us. And I love Paul because as he becomes a citizen of God's kingdom and he writes all of these different letters, we're going to do a lot of digging into this today, um, he gives us all these different attributes of what we should be acting like as citizens of God's kingdom. And it's not about, you know, well, as an American, I get to do this. You're going to see a lot of this just doesn't transfer over, right? Um, the point that we become a citizen of God's kingdom, we're kind of done with earthly things, right? We're, we're in a different level. Okay, so I'm going to walk you guys through what it means being a citizen in God's kingdom, um, these different attributes. And if you're taking notes this morning, um, for those who are at home, it's really easy for you guys. You literally just click to the right of your screen. It says right there, sermon notes, click on it, a PDF will pop up. You'll get the whole spiel. Um, it'll also be on your screen, so you guys can follow along with that as well. For those in the room, it'll be on the screen. You guys can obviously open your smart device and do those notes as well. Um, but it's really important we follow along because this is such a great, I, I'm I'm excited about this particular message. Number one, okay, the thing we learned from Paul is citizens in God's kingdom actually belong to God. Those are words that Paul uses very clearly, like an ownership. We belong to him. How would it go over if you went to any, well, I, I wouldn't even say the South. Let's just say any city in America, and you put the average guy off the side and say, how do you feel about the government owning you? You belong to the government. The government owns you. Is that going to go very well? No. That didn't, there's no. No, they don't own me. I've got rights. I'm a citizen. I could do what I'm. Okay, that, that's an American version. The citizen in the kingdom of God is very clear. We belong to God. And then he uses these terms to describe what we are. The first one I want to talk about is this term sacrifice. In fact, he uses the word living sacrifice. Now, if you kind of flash forward in their culture, again, you know, we look at it and we see the whole timeline. As they're at this point, 
most of the things that they know about are Old Testament, right? They know Jesus came, but they're really referring to Mosaic laws. I mean, that's their whole culture, their whole heritage, their whole upbringing. That's what they really know. And what they know are these things called sacrifices. And, and not to get too graphic, there's all kinds of sacrifices, but without a doubt, the most common was a sin sacrifice. And what you were required to do is if you sinned, um, you may have to have more cattle than your neighbor, right? Because some of us maybe send a little more. Um, you're required to take this sacrifice uh, at this point to the temple and sacrifice it to make atonement for your sin. So there's actually rules in Scripture. I'm gonna, it's not going to be on your screen. I'm going to read through it really quick. To me, it's interesting because there's different levels as there's different levels of income. That's really what it is, and different levels of influence. So, for example, when it comes to a uh, sacrifice, first of all, uh, a common rule, and what we've got to realize is every Old Testament sacrifice, and really everything in the Old Testament, all points to a man named Jesus, right? It's all a foreshadowing to what Jesus does, okay? So when you look at the Old Testament, the same common denominator is whatever animal you pick to make a sacrifice for your sins, they're required to be without blemish, which means as perfect as they can be. Hence, Jesus, right? Jesus was perfect, no sin, lived the perfect life. Okay, so if you went out to your, your, your flock of animals and you say, well, I need an animal, you, you couldn't pick one that maybe they had a, a, a twisted hoof, right? Or, or, they, or they had a, a horn that was kind of funky or they were missing a leg or like, no, perfect. And it's really kind of a symbolic thing because we're also to give our best to God. So we have a chicken at our property. Uh, we name her Twinkle Toes because a chicken has, you know, three little, you know, chicken anatomy, right? They have three little toes. Ours, like this one, when it was born, I don't know, it was broke. And so we have like this. It's like a Spock, you know, like, you know. And so we call her Twinkle Toes. Well, that would be unacceptable because that's not perfect. It has a blemish. So you, you go to your corral, you get your animals, and then here's, here's the, the menu, if you will. Oh, what am I required to give? If you happen to be the high priest or a sacrifice for the congregation, it had to be a bull. That's a big sacrifice, right? Uh, if you were the king, it had to be a male goat. If you were a common person, right, this is just kind of middle class. This would be probably most of us in this room, a fem female goat or a female lamb. And then here's where it gets fascinating to me. Uh, if you are slightly poorer, you could give a dove or a pigeon. If you were more of a peasant, right, if you were in a different tax bracket down here, you could give a tenth of an ephah or two quarts of flour, right? But, but the point is, they're taking the sacrifice, something you're giving to God, and you're going to the altar, and you're laying it on this altar, and you're giving it to God. Now, obviously, if it's, if it's two quarts of flour, not doing much with that, right? But if it's an animal, that's significant, right? You are taking a life, and not to get too grotesque, but the symbolism. As you, as you cut open that animal, the blood runs down the altar, okay? And then you look at scriptures in the New Testament that when Jesus died, blood ran down the cross. It's all symbolism. So when Paul says these words of what a living sacrifice is, they would have completely understood what he meant. Sometimes we think of sacrifices, I'm going to give up Diet Coke for the month of October. Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> They're going, what? No, it's just you're picking a different drink for the month of October, right? This is a true sacrifice. And so look at the scripture he says in Romans 12:1. With all of that context in mind, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God 
because all he has done for you. And then here's these words, let them be a living, it doesn't require us to actually die physically, but let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And I love this, this is truly the way you worship him. We talked about worship recently. It's not just the songs we sing. It's the life that we live. And some basic things that we know about things that have been sacrificed, unlike, you know, what we see as American citizens, okay? Uh, Sacrifices don't complain to the king. Do we have the right to complain as citizens? Oh, my gosh. People express that right probably way too much, right? Uh, Sacrifices don't have their own agenda. Sacrifices don't get to cast a vote. Sacrifices don't say, hey, no thanks, I'm not interested, right? And you can do that as an American. As an American, you could sit in your house and say, nah, I'm not playing. You don't get that choice if you were a citizen in God's kingdom. In fact, I had a professor when I was in college, and I loved what he said. He said, the problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar. I'll give it all to you, Jesus. And then when things get a little tough, I'm going to get off and go on over here, right? We don't really get that choice. And so sacrifice is a word that really, really brings together what we really understand, um, what Paul's calling us to be as citizens, because we belong to God. Now, there's another word I want to talk about, and I want to walk through it very delicately, because it's a, it's a trigger word. It's a word that we probably shouldn't talk about in church, because as a country, you know, we, we are still dealing with the remorse and turmoil of this word. But when you look at Scripture, and you don't you know, move away and you twist it, you look at the, what the Scriptures say, we are actually called slaves. We are God's slaves. Now, obviously, slaves are like, whoa, we don't use that. That's, listen, and, and first of all, we've got to realize that as a, as a country, we, didn't, we weren't the only country to have slaves in this world. It was really kind of a worldwide issue. But in America, we still absolutely deal with, with injustice and, and turmoil from that period in our country. In fact, um, it was probably a decade ago that I actually led a mission trip to, of all places, Mobile, Alabama. And when I was in Mobile, we went to the Homeless Coalition, which is in downtown um, Mobile. And it's, let me just say, it's a gorgeous building because it's actually the oldest Methodist church in Alabama. And this church is just unbelievable. Now, you know, our building, if you didn't know this, our building, this room right here is a basketball gymnasium. Um, we've done what we can, but you can't make this a lot prettier, right? This is beautiful architecture. If you can imagine, they have certified Tiffany stained glass windows. I mean, just wow. Um, on a side note, as a missionary, we're going there. I've got you know teenagers coming with me, and they actually asked us, "Do you think some of your kids could help us like dig out the caulking in the windows?" And we're putting, like, "No." Are you, they're Tiffany windows. Are you kidding me? No, we're not going to be. Our insurance is not that good, right? So while we were there, though, we got to do some other stuff. But she gave us a tour of their building, and it was gorgeous. And then and here's where it gets a little bit weird and a little bit awkward. So it's a sanctuary much longer and more skinny than, than ours is here. And then they had a balcony in the back, like a lot of churches even today do. But as we went up to the balcony, you see this wall that's all cement slash plaster, and then you see on the back wall, you actually have shackles and chains bolted into the wall. And, you know, one of the kids, they're, well, what are those for? You know, they don't know. And, and this woman who was also, you know, she was black, she was very sincere about it. And she said, this is where the landowners and the slave owners would come. And before they worship Jesus, they would lock up their slaves so they could also worship Jesus. And then they would go downstairs and worship. You know, and then you check them out and you go home. 
and speechless, obviously. These kids are like, and I asked her, I said, can you tell me why have these not been removed? And I was really kind of surprised by her comment. And she says, we are fighting every year to not have these removed. Because this is such a great example of our church or our, our nation's history on how we just royally messed up. And then she, I, I wish I could repeat it, but she did a whole speech to our kids comparing slavery back then to homelessness today. And it was, I mean, it was staggering. Um, but we understand as a country what slaves are. What we have to understand is looking at it through the context of Scripture and through the lens that they would have known back then. Okay, so yes, there was negative slaves, there were bad slaves, but there were also good masters back then. And so look at the Scripture, Romans 6.22, and you'll kind of see what, what, what Paul's talking about. He says, now that you've been set free from sin, right? We understand that when Jesus died on the cross and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he was the ultimate sacrifice, Right? When, when his cousin said, hey, behold the Lamb of God, his purpose in life was to die on that altar slash cross to remove our sin from us, to make atonement forever. So we understand that, so we're free from sin. He says, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And then he says, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the results eternal Life And so there's a difference you see in Scripture. There's slave, there's bondservant, there, there's uh, servants. And across the board, it, it's, it's an interesting word. Bondservant is this Hebrew word, abed, and it's similar connotation. It literally means in the Mosaic context, if you can imagine this, um, again, we look at this like there's no way. But back then, there were, there were masters who were good to their slaves, okay? And so there were actually, it was Mosaic law that actually said if someone wanted to actually voluntarily stay with that family, that, that landowner, if you will, um, once they paid off their dues. And so it was very common, as we see even in uh, some of Jesus' parables, if someone had messed up whatever you stole, it, you would have to be someone's slave until you paid off your debt. Well, there were some servants who said, I, I don't want to leave. My master's too good to me, right? Um, if that were to happen, there's actually kind of laws for that. Exodus 21, 5 through 6. This is Old Testament. This is old Mosaic laws. Here's what it says. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, my children. I, I don't want to go free. If he does this. Now, this is going to sound weird to us because it's not our culture. But again, just, just follow along. If he does this, his master must present him before God, and then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. Think of an ice pick, right? That's what that is. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. And we're going, what? That's just the part I want you to get. Again, foreshadowing. Everything's foreshadowing, okay? You've been marked by your owner. As a church, obviously, we, we don't condone anybody owning somebody else. But we're talking about God owning us. And, and you see this all throughout Scripture, right? Uh, God spoke of Abraham being his servant. Joshua, David, Isaiah are all called servants. Uh, you talk about Jesus. Why did Jesus come? I came to serve, not to be served. And what you see is there are some slaves that wanted to stay with their master for life. And what's really interesting, if we were to break down, again, as much as I can, let's try to hold off on the American negativity, but look at it through this lens. A slave has no rights. A slave does exactly what his master tells him to do or her to do, right? 
Um, they give up all because they want to be with them. And so if we put it through the lens of our master, our, shall I say, owner, I know that sounds, that's just weird, but again, in Scripture, we belong to God. If you look at it through this lens, um, he's the greatest of all time. Our future is in his care. He is our provider. He is our, our caretaker. He makes sure we have a bed to sleep in. He gives us our everything. And the point is, we're not here to say, well, I don't think I'm going to, mm-mm. We belong to him. And Paul is crystal clear on this. Another one we see, <clears throat> citizens are set apart for so much more. Uh, the word I want you to get is this word set apart. Uh, I did a fascinating word study this week, and I did all of, uh, Paul has 13 letters he wrote to churches. And in, like any letter, and we call them books of the Bible, but they're actually letters. And so if he was writing a letter to a church, he would have a greeting. You know? So if he wrote a letter to this church, it might be uh, to my, my dear brothers and sisters at Reclamation Church, to those who've been called to embrace those who've given up on church. I mean, it's like, you kind of like, okay, that's who he knows we are. Did this word study on these different letters of the Bible. And what you see is there's different things that God or that Paul uses to refer to us as Christians when he's talking to these churches. So walking through this very quickly. Okay, for example, the church in Galatia. We know this as the book of Galatians. It's actually a letter written to the church in Galatia. He calls them dear brothers and sisters. There's this very intimate, we're all part of a family, we're together. Uh, you, you go forward to First and Second Thessalonians. He's writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica. Look what he says. I'm writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God. There's that ownership aspect again, right? Uh, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this one is fascinating. Hebrews, the letter, right? He calls them foreigners. He calls them strangers in the land. More contemporary translations refer to them as aliens, not outer space aliens, like aliens from a different country. Now, understand that this letter he's writing this is not a little church made up of immigrants from across the border. They were born there. They were raised there. But he's using this terminology that you're a foreigner from somewhere else. And everything you see about Paul as he writes, he's continually reminding these churches, you don't belong here. doesn't matter where you were born. You are now a member, a citizen in God's kingdom. It's something different, right? And then the other, the other letters. I picked this one as an example. Uh, Corinthians, and we know it first and second Corinthians letter to the church in Corinth. And I will just tell you, the, the, the church in Corinth, they were going through some stuff. Like they were in a culture, there was an actual verb that was known as to Corinthianize, which means you were, you're doing some stuff, right, if you're Corinthianizing, okay? So they understood a culture kind of falling down and falling apart. And look what he says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth to you have been called by God to be, here's this word, his holy people. In fact, the other letters, he uses the word holy more than anything else. To those holy people at Reclamation Church. Really? You're like, I, I don't know if I'd call myself holy. I mean, that's really, again, looking at it through the lens of theology and what Jesus did on the cross for us. He made us holy. He took away sin. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Now, the cool thing about this word holy, we think, well, only God can be holy, right? The definition for holy is literally set apart by God and set apart for God, right? Those who are in his service, and that leads right to the next one. Citizens have responsibilities in God's kingdom. Uh, you guys know all too well that as Americans— we can pretty much do what we want. 
we could decide I'm not going to work. I'm not going to go get a job. I'm going to watch, you know, reality TV until I, I'm just done. I, we can do that. That can't happen to the citizen as the kingdom of God. We have responsibilities. Um, you look at what Paul went through. I should say Saul that became Paul. Um, completely changed his life. And in verse 15, all of a sudden, there's this title that he's given. This is Acts 9.15. And then God basically says, well, Jesus says, this is my chosen instrument. This is my chosen tool. Now that, that's a fascinating word. Understand, you know, what was Jesus' profession before he became, <laughs> before he became the Messiah professionally? What was his profession? He was a carpenter. Now, if you guys know me, but you know I love tools. I love old tools, and I love working with my hands. And a lot of that's because Jesus did that. And to me, it's just such a pure, incredible, I just, I love it. But when you have a, a chisel, and you have a mallet, and you start, you know, hitting wood, never, ever, ever do I have to worry about that hammer going, I don't want to. <laughs> the chisel going, I don't think I want to this time. I'm going to pray about it, but the answer's going to be no. But you don't see that, right? And yet, we got to realize as citizens in God's kingdom, we have responsibilities, that things that need to get done. Um, and, and I love that he calls him his instrument, calls him his tool. This is my chosen tool slash instrument that I'm going to use to spread my message for the rest of the world. And it's a man named Paul. You look at another verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Here's what he says, Paul speaking, God paid a great price for you. Again, it's an ownership aspect. He bought us with his son dying on the cross, right? In a nutshell, don't insult him with that. So use your body to honor God. And then the last one, so much unlike the United States of America, um, citizenship is eternal. I can't tell you when will be the end of USA, um, but I can tell you it's not going to last forever. But the, the, the nation that I'm a part of is here for eternity. Right, that's the kingdom of God. And I think what happens a lot of times is what we do is we have a bit of an identity crisis as individuals. Um, you know, last week we had an individual named Matt Green come up here on the stage. And what Matt did essentially is he had his ceremony of citizenship. That, that's really what it was. I mean, you know, I look back, you know, 15 years ago, and there's my, my, my sister-in-law raising her hand and, and, and paying homage and giving oath to a country. Well, Matt was up here transferring his citizenship. Of course, he can still travel in America. He's not, he's not taking that away, but all of a sudden, something has you know, overcome all of that. There's a new number one in his life. And as he stands here and he says, I accept Christ as my Lord and my Savior. There's two key words, Lord and Savior, right? We want to say King and, and Savior, right? Someone who, who is going to rule over me and someone who's going to save me. And I think the problem is, is a lot of Christians, they have a bit of an identity crisis and they forget that God is so much more than just our Savior. He's also our King. There is a billboard in South Dallas that is staggering to me, and it really may be one of the greatest statements of our culture today. This is a uh, billboard that says, Who's your daddy? It's a paternity test. Answers available at your local pharmacy. And, uh, you know, again, that could be all kinds of circumstances. Maybe it's a, a child who doesn't know who her dad is, or maybe it's a mom not knowing which the father is, or it, may, it could be a, a husband. I, I don't know. But the point is, as a culture, we have an issue where people say, I don't know who my father is. 
if I could just present to you, we have people who call themselves Christians who don't know who their father really is. And they say, I love the idea of Jesus dying on the cross, and I want the get-out-of-hell-free card. But when you look back at these other requirements, right, we belong to God, eh, I don't know about that one. Um, oh, uh, what about this one where it says that I'm set apart for more, called to be holy? I don't, I mean, that requires change on my part. You know, I have responsibilities, mm, time out. I, I just, I want the get-out-of-hell-free card. And, and if I could just present to you that we have an identity crisis, We've got to realize that, that Jesus didn't come just to save us. He came to rule over us, and he is our king, and he expects out of us. In fact, I want to share with you guys the idea that it's going to last eternally. Um, this is one of the most comforting verses that I love, John 14, 1 through 6. So this is Jesus talking. He's talking to his apostles, and he's talking about the future, right? He's talking about what do things look like down the road, um, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Here's what he says, trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. He says, if it weren't so, would I have told you I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you? And then he says this, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And then I love this, he's talking to his apostles, and I think sometimes um, he says things and they don't quite get it, right? So he says, and you know where I'm going. And then Thomas goes, I don't know where you're going. You say that, I don't have a clue, man. What are you talking about? And I love it. He says, Thomas, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. Uh, we have no idea where you're going. And so how can we know the way to get there? And then you've heard this verse. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter what happens in our country, in our government. It doesn't matter because our future is set. And what you see over and over and over again is Paul using these words. Right? He, he says, citizens of a different kingdom. He calls us foreigners in a, in a strange land. He calls us aliens from a different world. He calls us ambassadors. He calls us on mission where we're at. And it's all reminding the churches of the day, this is not forever. We are made for something more. And so while we're here, there is things to get done. And if I could just remind maybe those who are watching online and those who are in the room, man, God's not surprised about any election on this world. God's not surprised about, but what I continue to hear is Christians who are so concerned about, oh my gosh, this guy's falling. Really? Who cares? Because your king has promised you your future set. He's got it all figured out. We should go before him and say, okay, now what am I doing in this season of my life, king? Not, I don't want to play ball. So what I want to do this morning is I want to actually ask you guys, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to end with this, and I'm going to pray for you guys. I want to read some scripture over you and for those who were at home. And I pray that this will just help settle nerves, right? Regardless of who you voted for, what side you're on, it's good, it's bad. It's a, Before we are ever ever going to a ballot to cast a vote, we are a Christian first. Our future is set in concrete, and it will last forever. Close your eyes with me. Let, let's just hear these words. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking, Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
So looking beyond elections, looking beyond maybe into more personal stuff, maybe what you're going through, maybe what your marriage is going through, uh, maybe family drama, maybe it's economics, maybe it's finances, maybe it's your future, whatever it is. He says, I am absolutely convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. And then he actually gives these details, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell, he says, can separate us from God's love. Verse 39, he says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that was revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Master, our Savior. So, Father, we come to you now and we thank you so much for what your Son would do for us 2,000 years ago, the ultimate sacrifice that, yes, he made, but, but you made as well. I mean, you, Scripture says you bought us at, a, as at an incredibly high price, and that price was your son dying on the cross. So, Father, I pray that as we look to what we are called to be as citizens of your kingdom, that we can look beyond um, worldly expectations and understand that you are calling us to something greater and something bigger and something higher. So, Father, we come to you. We thank you for the past. We look to the future. And we say, use us in an abundant way. Use us in a powerful way. Help us know that it doesn't matter what's going on in our country. While we are here, there is work to get done. And we are still called to advance your kingdom in this world. So, Father, I pray for every single person who's watching online, who's listening on a podcast, who's sitting in the room, that you would motivate us and rally us and use us for your glory, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Wow, what a great message from Pastor Tom Wilson. And hey, if something stood out to you today, we want to hear about it. Email the podcast at podcast.re.church and Kitty Rose, our ministry coordinator, and I will talk about it on our discussions episodes, which air on Thursday. I'd like to extend an invite to visit our website, re.church, where you can find free resources like Right Now Media, which is a great place to find devotionals and sermons. There's this one really good sermon called Psalm 23 by Matt Chandler, and it is one of my personal favorites, and that you can get for free on our website, re.church. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at re.churchplano. I'm John Bernal, and I'll see you guys on Thursday for our discussions episode. Have a great rest of your week.